You're listening to Inside the Village, where all news is local and no topic is off limits. So help me, Bob, it's Bully in the Alley. Hey, Bully in the Alley. So help me, Bob. This is Inside the Village for the week of November the 15th, 2023. With Michael Friscolati, Editor-in-Chief here at Village Media, Derek Turner, Executive Producer of the program. I'm Scott Sexsmith. We are back. And we, we need to quash the rumors. We have not been canceled. Yes. I know it's been a couple of weeks, but sometimes stuff happens. There was a lot of rumors flying that this was it, that there was some uh, internal problems between you and I. Well, you know what? <laughs> Social media does Which that. is true. There's, no, that's There's always that's problems accurate. between yeah, you and yeah, I. Yeah, no, that's accurate. Uh, but the talk on the street was they're canceled, they're done. Yes. You cannot keep us down. <laughs> We're back. You can't. Just you been cannot. very busy and... Stuff happens. Absolutely. And, and, and the news can take over sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, it's been a, uh, a busy news cycle uh, the past couple of weeks, but uh, we're back. We're recharged, refreshed, and ready to uh, get after it. Let's do it. All right. Let's uh, start with the uh, first word to Frisco and only fitting that the first word has to do with the longest <laughs> zucchini in the world, according to Thorold today and uh, our great editor there, Bernard Landsberg. I'm sure everybody here has heard of this story already by now, right? They must have. It's been all over the news. It's one of those rare stories that uh, just go viral in every possible way. So Thorold today, our great site in the Niagara region, Bernard Landsberg, and has this story about a local city councillor who's grown the largest zucchini ever, or he claims to, and it yes. seems to be longer than uh, the Guinness World Record. Eight feet and some inches, right? Eight feet, four point seven nine inches, <laughs> which which is slightly longer than the current record holder of eight feet three point three nine inches. Uh, and where was that person? Do you know? In Thorold as well. No way. What's in the soil? What's in the soil? Yeah. That's what I asked Bernard. That's great. What he didn't have an answer. Probably. He did not have an answer. Uh, <laughs> this is, of course, pending uh, yeah. approval and uh, the uh, world record uh, organization stamping yeah. it and saying yes. It is well, the longest, but it's I, big. I have a soft spot for Thorold. When I first started at Village, I worked really closely with the team in Thorold, Bernard especially, uh, and just had a lot of fun kind of learning how we do things here. And he's a great journalist, and he's totally understands what's interesting in the world, right? And then you totally see him doing a story like this. Um, but what was hilarious about the story is you read it in Thorold Today, and all of a sudden the New York Post is writing about it and quoting Thorold Today, and all these other news outlets yeah. are writing about it. And then, of course, uh, we saw him on the they made late-night television, too. The right? Late Show with, uh, with Stephen Colbert. I think I think we got the clip. Derek, can you run the clip? I don't, I don't pretend to be news. This is a late-night show, okay? And I try not to get swept up in the sensationalism of the modern news grind. But when history is being made, I can't ignore it. Which is why tonight's top story is an Ontario man's eight-foot zucchini (laughs) might be the longest in the world. Which, of course, raises the question, is that a world record in your garden or are you just happy zucchini? Now, of course, we only ran a a short snippet uh, of the Colbert clip, uh, but he went on for like five minutes and absolutely roasted the reporter uh, at CHCH uh, TV uh, in Hamilton, the Hammer. I know, hometown. I felt bad. I'm a hometown uh, TV station. I felt bad. The reporter's just trying to have some fun. He laid down beside the zucchini. Roasted him. Roasted <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, All in good fun, I of think. Of course it is. Good uh, interesting that you, you, you set a soft spot for Bernard. Here's what I know about this zucchini after talking to Bernard, that when they grow that long, they become unedible because they become so hard. So what do you do with it? can't do anything with it. You just measure it? Measure it? 
Peanut gallery. Derek like that joke. Oh well. Hey, you know, the, 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 I gotta. I have to point out too that you know this was one of those funny viral stories. Bernard does great journalism in Thorold. He covers that community. Oh yeah, like nobody's business. Yeah. So if you think Bernard's just in Thorold looking at people's gardens, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> might still be canceled. Yeah, we should, uh, we should the end, end the show of this right here. Episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, there you go. Thorold, Ontario, home of the uh, world's largest. Zucchini. Two of the world's largest. Two. Absolutely. That's crazy. Here's the other thing. These two guys know each other and they share zucchini seeds. They do? Does does Bernard written the story about how the other guy's jealous now that this other guy is? There could be a second part to this. uh, They should start a pod, two zucchinis. (laughs) Be the longest podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good show. All right. Good show. Good show. They say Derek. Wrap it up. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think we're done. Good night, everyone. They say size matters. Well, yeah. there you go. The proof is uh, in the pudding. Uh, okay. Uh, on a more serious note, let's head to uh, Guelph. Uh, great reporter Richard Vivian there uh, on people abandoning uh, the deposits that they put down uh, on homes that they intend to uh, yeah. purchase. Another sign of the uh, the state of the economy. Oh, for sure. Another example of just how desperate some people have become. Uh, we've seen in the in the Toronto area a lot where people are abandoning big deposits they put down on condos or whatever because when they were approved at the time, they could afford it. The interest rates were at a rate they could afford. Now they've obviously gone a lot higher and they can't afford it. And so they just have to, no choice but to abandon their deposits. It's happening in Guelph as well to a certain extent. And Richard's been speaking to people there who are seeing this trend happening. It's very concerning. And I think, honestly, Scott, it, it's happening in all our communities, right? I mean, this is the reality of uh, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars more per month on your mortgage than you were a couple of years ago because of even just the rates going up as much as they have. Um, but it's just every day we're reporting on examples of how the economy is, is uh, people are struggling with the state of the economy right now and then and the cost of living. And this is just another one of those examples, but really good reporting. Absolutely. And and speaking of which, I believe next week uh, we're going to have a guest that's going to speak about the uh, impact that it's had on the restaurant yep. uh, industry. So that'll yeah. be a good conversation really for sure. Uh, okay. And finally, uh, this past weekend, uh, Remembrance Day uh, and the editorial staff uh, just doing a wonderful job uh, of covering uh, events that took place uh, in the various communities across our footprint. It's always struck me as it's one of the things we do best, I think. I mean, the, uh, just beautiful job covering the ceremonies in all the communities, right? Whether you're in a big city or a small town, there's always some really powerful moving um, ceremonies to mark Remembrance Day. And, you know, I went through all our sites over the weekend, read all our coverage, looked at all the photo galleries and watched some of the videos that our teams put together. Um, just a really uh, powerful collection of, uh, of stories on Remembrance Day for sure. All right. Congratulations to all the staff involved with that. Okay. Let's uh, skip ahead to today's show. And one of the reasons, all kidding aside, that uh, we were absent last week, you had a uh, particularly busy couple of days uh, hobnobbing with the uh, prime minister. <laughs> well, maybe and, 20 minutes. Well, <laughs> I go, but I yes, just tried to build it, it up yeah, a little. It was a lot of time getting it organized and figured out, but for sure. But we were fortunate. Uh, the prime minister came to Sault Ste. Marie, which is the headquarters of Village Media, where right. we are right now. And uh, we invited the prime minister to come to Village Media headquarters to kind of see how a local news operation yeah. works, a successful one, doing great work in our communities. Uh, he was a little too busy for that. But uh, we did get a sit down of a few minutes of uh, the prime minister's time. So I was fortunate. It's something I've never done before. I've obviously interviewed politicians and media scrums like a lot of journalists, but I never had a one on one with the prime minister before. So it was very a uh, little bit nerve wracking. Yeah, spent yeah. a lot of time preparing for it. And uh, I think it went 
relatively okay. We asked them some difficult questions, more specifically on Bill C-18, which is the Online News Act, which a lot of our readers and listeners understand is the reason why Facebook doesn't show us, uh, show them our news anymore. Yeah. So we had some questions about that and whether this was the right move for his government and what's going to happen next. But we talked about some other things as well. And of course, C-18, likely one of the reasons why he chose not to come into. It makes me wonder, for sure. For sure. It would have been great to give him a tour. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. So no guests today, but let's do a deeper dive uh, on that whole process. What's involved when you sit down with the prime minister, what you guys talked about, uh, because I think it'll be a very interesting uh, conversation. Sounds great. All right. We'll do that when Inside the Village returns right after this. Reporters, editors, and journalists who go the extra mile to get the story and get it right. Go behind the scenes with those who cover the stories that matter most to you and your community. Look for it in the Village Features section of your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. Welcome back to Inside the Village. Scott Sexsmith with Michael Friskelandi and Derek Turner, executive producer of the show. Okay, last week uh, the Prime Minister comes to town, town being Sault Ste. Marie, uh, where Village uh, is located, headquartered. Um, Before we get into the conversation, I think it would be kind of neat if you walked us through, because let's be honest, not everybody, most, will never have a chance to sit down with a head of state like that, mm-hmm. a prime minister, a president, uh, you had that for the first time. And I know there's lots of protocols, there's lots of policies and procedures that need to be followed. So mm-hmm. can you kind of just kind of walk us through the the chronological yeah. order of events? You get the call that he's coming and maybe pick it up from there. Well, it's interesting how it unfolded because Alex Flood, one of our reporters here, we obviously a lot of people were talking about the prime minister was coming to town. So I had Alex trying to find out if it was true and get someone to confirm it. And uh, in the meantime, James Hopkins, one of our reporters here, messaged me and said, I just got a call from the prime minister's office. And I said, oh, I think they're probably looking for Alex because maybe he reached out to them. And he goes, well, they want to talk at 2 o'clock. I said, okay, well, talk to them, see what they want. And and James actually five years earlier, five years ago, when Justin Trudeau came here for a different announcement, James interviewed him. At Algoma Steel. At Algoma Steel. Right. Did a great job. And I, I guess the PMO keeps good records and had James's name and number and yep. email on file. So there would have been James doing the interview, except James was on holidays. So – he forwarded it to me, and uh, and and for us, for me, the um, I probably wouldn't have done it. We probably would have left it up to one of our reporters here. But because of C eighteen, which is the Online News Act and the, the Facebook blocking news, which is because of federal legislation that the Trudeau government passed, and because he was coming to Sault Ste. Marie, the headquarters of our local news company, right? We wanted to have the opportunity to question him on that. So I reached it back out to the PML spokesperson, said that I would be happy to do this interview, and I told him the topics we wanted to talk about. And there was no there were no restrictions on that. They were fine with that. Did that and, surprise you? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think – and I could be wrong with this because I don't – in all my years as a journalist, I didn't do – I haven't done a lot of political reporting. But I don't think when Doug Ford comes to town, they make sure they give a local news organization a one-on-one with Doug Ford. Right. or with yeah. I mean, so to the PM's credit, I mean, he they, he goes to these communities and they want to do a – you know, sit down with a local reporter and and largely because they want to pump up whatever the local news was. And in this case, he was coming to make an announcement from the local electricity provider, the PUC, about a, a new grid that's they've installed and smart grid that's going to, you know, supposedly help the environment and lower people's power bills. So obviously they want to talk about that. But of course, we also made it a bit more of a discussion about other issues. Um, uh, and so, yeah, for me, it was a little bit stressful because – I really try to prep all the time, no matter who I'm interviewing. But, you know, like you said, it's not every day you sit down with the prime minister and you want to make sure your questions are very focused and 
we'll actually get an answer that uh, that you're looking for. So it was a, a little bit nerve wracking the night before trying to get mm-hmm. uh, get organized, but. Yeah, it was uh, – and some nerves too, right? Like Again, you're sitting like we were sitting. We are sitting right now. Yep. It was the same thing. So, And plus you know that there's a there's a time crunch, right? If they yes. say you, you got 10 minutes, yes. you got 10 minutes. And it was – yeah. Now you kind of stretched that a little bit. I stretched it a little bit. It was supposed to be 10 minutes and I think we got closer to 20 and, and – and you know, to be fair, he did answer the questions that that I asked and, and his – one of his spokes uh, – People was in the back room reminding me that you know there's you know five minutes, two yeah, minutes yeah, and yeah. That, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. I can tell you all about where it was. Do we? Do you want to know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, he came here to do an announcement with at the PUC building, which is the uh, the power uh, provider up here. Did the announcement there. Alex Flood covered all those details. Then he went to the – there's a – our old Legion was torn down. Right. And they're building a new apartment complex with the Legion now going to be on the main floor. So it's kind of a new development for the Legion. They wanted to tour him around there. Obviously, it's the day before Remembrance Day, and it's a pretty cool development. And so they told me in advance that the interview is going to be at that location. We don't know what time yet. Um and so there was a, a bunch of media covering that walkthrough, kind of a photo op. And when you go to a photo op with the prime minister, with a lot of senior politicians, there's a room where all the reporters have to put all their gear, their cameras, their recorders, their briefcases, and the sniffer dogs come in right. and they're sniffing this. So they're going through. Funny story, Alex Flood was uh, trying to finish up his story from the first location. It was actually running late. And they basically <laughs> told me if he doesn't get here now, he's not going to get to this yep. event because we got to do the sweep. So I phoned him and he ran. <laughs> he was in the parking lot. He ran into the door. And who's going to say no to Alex Flood? He's the nicest guy in the world, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> so um, they let him. They 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 put his gear in, and they did. They did the uh, the sniffs and the sweeps and all that stuff. But I didn't stay for the photo op. They sent me upstairs to a different room they had already set up. It was an un, one of these units that's under construction. So there's just drywall right on the wall, yeah, unfinished, yeah. not mudded yet. Little uh, plastic table in the middle uh, with a chair on either side. And they said he should be here in about an hour, so you can sit here and just wait. So I went over my notes and tried to prep as best I could. And, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, funny things happen. A guy, an old uh, a dad from one of my son's hockey teams was works at the construction site. He saw me, came in, we had a little conversation, <laughs> right? And then uh, you could start, then his spokesperson came up. The Privy Council office actually sends their own people too to record like just for historical records. So they're recording all these interviews themselves. So they go into some archive somewhere, right? Really? Yeah. So uh met that gentleman from the Privy Council office. And then um, you could sort of see there was a little bit of commotion outside the, the the door of this apartment unit. And you could see that there was at least, I believe there's one RCMP officer, one of his um, yeah. personal protective division guys. and uh, The ones that don't smile. The ones that don't smile, very serious, yeah. right? He came in and uh, they asked, they walked him in and I got up, shook his hand, lovely, you know, typical introduction to somebody you'd meet. And uh, he was very, very, you know, like you'd expect, gracious, yeah. kind, sat yeah. down. We, we, I introduced him to Alex, uh, who's taking photos. And we sat down and, and, and we, we had a little small talk about Sault Ste. Marie and the fact that there was snow on the ground. And uh, he, of course, said, oh, I was just reminiscing with Terry Sheehan, who's our local MP, about how many times I've been to the Sioux. And he has been to the Sioux. I think we counted five or six times beforehand. One, when he was still running to be the prime minister when he right. was a liberal leader. And then we kind of got into the action, Scott. And we just uh, – I was fortunate that I could have my computer with me because I had a lot of notes yeah, on there. Yeah. And, and we just started started uh, the discussion. And no RCMP in the room, just Alex, yourself, and the prime minister? 
I don't believe there was. I could be wrong, but they, I think they were at the door because yeah. they'd already pre-screened this sure. room, right? Yeah. Um, I know Adam Scotty, who's a longtime photographer for the prime minister, was in. He came in at one point. His spokesperson was there, the person from the Privy Council. I believe that was it. But there was only one door into that unit, and it was you know well guarded on sure. the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, big national media. Presence? I, no, I don't think there was. Canadian Press had sent a photographer. Yeah. And they had a free, local freelancer, but I think they had sent someone else as well. Um, you know, all the typical. The CTV North was there, and, sure. and we were there. The Sioux Star was there. Um, I did not see. I, I think I asked too if any of the. Uh, sometimes reporters will accompany them on the plane, right? right yeah, but I don't think there was any uh, national media there that day. All right, they probably saw the forecast and didn't want to. Yeah, exactly. didn't, didn't want to venture <laughs> exactly, north. Exactly, exactly. Okay, let's uh, get to the conversation uh, itself, and of course, the uh, the big thing that uh, I know would have been on your mind, uh, Bill C eighteen. Well, and this is the big reason we wanted to talk to the prime minister. Um, just to remind everybody, Bill C eighteen is the Online News Act. It is the, in a nutshell, it is a lot of. Um, Media companies, legacy media companies in particular, have been lobbying the government to make Facebook and Google pay their fair share, as they say, for all the content that would appear on our content that would appear on their their feeds. Right. The argument being that that they're profiting from it because they're they're selling ads around it, right? At Village Media and a lot of other online publishers that were born digital like us, our argument has always been that we benefit from having our we we put that stuff on their Absolutely. on their platforms yeah. because it generates traffic back to our sites it expands our reach it helps us reach all the local audiences that we want and and it's no secret that we already had our own arrangements privately in place with Google with Facebook um so we did it on our own we didn't have need the government to tell us how to do this and so when bill C18 passed it forced big tech to make a deal with us, right? And Facebook, which they did exactly what they said they were going to do. They said, if you pass this law, we're just going to block all Canadian news. So if you're a Canadian, you get no news on your Facebook feed right. anymore, right? That was their answer to it. And uh, now we're all waiting on Google because the the the, uh, the act takes effect, the law takes effect in the middle of December, I think December 19th. Right. Yep. So we're all kind of waiting to see what Google's going to do. And if Google, I mean, we're not lying about this either. If Google pulls out, it'd be catastrophic for the news industry in Canada. Yep. We're, we're talking like, Half our traffic, if not more, right? Um, so we're waiting to kind of see what Google's going to agree to do, what they may not agree to do. And so I wanted to ask the prime minister just whether this was the right – in hindsight, after seeing what's happened, was this the right strategy? So um, we can listen to that. I wanted to switch gears again on Bill C-18. And I want to ask you that because you're in Sault Ste. Marie, which is the headquarters of the largest online publisher in the country, Village Media. We're very proud. I'm very privileged to be the editor-in-chief of Village Media. And we're very concerned about C-18, obviously, as a lot of online publishers are, right? Yeah. Uh, as you know, as everybody knows, Facebook has now blocked news mm -hmm. uh, content. Was this, the right, was this the right move, Prime Minister, Bill C-18? Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult situation. And you know it better than I do. I think you have, is it 19 communities you mm -hmm. serve? More than, more, almost, more than almost 24. Okay, okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, every single one of those communities deserves to have local journalists who know their stories, who can put together and tell them what's going on in their community and mm -hmm. interpret what's going on around the world mm -hmm. in ways that is right for them. Mm -hmm. We need, and it's not just that it's a nice to have, it's core to the good functioning of our communities mm -hmm. and of our democracy. Absolutely. Well-informed populations with access to local news, reliable, trusted local news is essential. Mm -hmm. So the fact that for years now, International companies, foreign companies like Facebook or Google 
have been making money, massive amounts of money, off of the work that your journalists do talking mm -hmm. about local issues. Because anytime someone shares a relevant local story, mm -hmm. Google or Facebook, depending where they share it, makes the ad profit off of that, mm -hmm. which doesn't go into your pocket. Mm -hmm. your, your mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't fund the work that the local journalist mm -hmm. is doing. Mm -hmm. That's wrong. That, that shouldn't be that way. So how do you do it? Well, what we're trying to do is force Google and Facebook and other large companies that are so profitable on this to pay their fair share, to mm -hmm. share some of that ad revenue with companies uh, mm -hmm. that are sharing that local news and creating that local news. So we are having to push right now. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's worrisome because right now people don't understand. Look, we've got forest fires going and mm -hmm. because of what the government's doing, mm -hmm. we're not getting local news on our face. That's right, yeah. That's the perception, but the reality is we're doing this to force mm -hmm. local media to be to support force the online giants to support local media. Because if we don't, mm -hmm. as the world continues to change, will there be mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the village in in in, in ten well, years? Well, that's what we're concerned about right yeah. now, right? And the I think we've learned the opposite is true too, though, is that we depended on Facebook and Google to help share our stories, right? So there was value in that for us. Yep. So whereas some news organizations might have said, yeah, that's what you're saying is accurate. We believe the opposite, right? That we were in partnership with Google and Facebook. They helped us. And now without them, that local news, we're hanging by a thread, Prime Minister. I mean, we're worried yep. about the future of our, of our, of our news organizations. And a lot that. of people are. But that's why we're working so hard with Google in particular now to find an agreement that is going to have Google actually not just help you in a one-off, but help you and other community journalists like, like your organization right across the country with a model that's going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. Because we all know, you know Google and, and, and Meta don't want to have to be on the hook for this. Mm -hmm. They're happy to try and you know, help out in one-offs. But you can't build a career on that. You're not going to convince young people to go into journalism, be a local reporter, if they're not confident that they're going to be able to support a family on that five years from now, mm -hmm. 10 years from now. And look what's happened to journalism over the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. We know it's going to get stronger. So right now, the world, like countries around the world are looking very, very closely at what Canada's doing mm -hmm. and telling us, keep doing it. Because if we don't bring in a model, Australia showed that it can be done. Bring in a model that actually makes sure that you get revenue sources you can rely on through the hard work you and your journalists are doing. Then I worry not just for local journalism. I worry, mm -hmm. I worry for democracy. But I hear you mm -hmm. how much it's hard right now. Yes. And we are, we're, we're there to support in various ways. But we're also there to build a strong journalism that doesn't rely on government handouts mm -hmm. because you've got to be calling us yeah. to account and yeah. you can't have to For know sure. that a For changing sure. government might For dry sure. up your, uh, your your supply of funds. Mm. So we will always support local journalism, but I want to create an ecosystem that supports local journalism financially through the way people get their news now, which is sharing it, not buying yeah. newspapers. Just real quickly on this subject, are you hopeful that Google's going to come to the table and figure out a way? Because if, if Google pulls out, I mean, that would be catastrophic for... The entire news industry in the Listen, country. Meta has chosen to be really bad and irresponsible actors. They have said that you know, it doesn't matter that billions of people rely on them for their information. Um, you know, we are not going to take any responsibility for defending democracy. Mm -hmm. That's Meta's choice, and I absolutely condemn them for it. Uh, but hopefully they will eventually change their minds. 
Google is being more thoughtful about it. They're still, you know, very careful because they know what we do in Canada ends up will end up getting adopted around the world. Mm-hmm. But once again, it falls on Canada to show people what is right and the way to go. It was interesting. The prime minister's essentially what the prime minister is saying is that they're fighting for local news like us. They're fighting for for journalism. They're saying if we don't fight this now, if we don't get into this battle with big tech now, who knows what's going to happen? We don't necessarily agree with that. That's not our thinking on it. Um, but it was interesting to hear his perspective, and we did ask him about it. And and it's one of those things of the cliche, right? Scott is. I guess we'll find out in a month, right? Yeah. What's going to happen? Okay. The uh, opioid crisis, uh, particularly in Northern Ontario, mm-hmm. what and this do you is, have to say about that? And that it was interesting too, because he was here to to talk about this smart grid that uh, has been installed at the PUC and how it's going to bring cleaner energy. It's going to uh, bring jobs, help uh, keep jobs in the community, lower people's power bills. A real, you know, a part of the it, it's kind of connected to Algoma Steel's transition to electric arc furnace um, steel making, um, and which the federal government's been in for hundreds of millions of dollars. They've pledged to support this, right? So they he's up here with this, you know, quote unquote good news announcement about about how this is progressing. And I guess I wanted to ask him, well. That's good. We, you know, I live here. We all want the community to do well. We want there to be good paying jobs for the next generation. But we also see the opioid crisis in plain view every day yeah. in this community, especially if you come downtown where we are right now. Yeah. There's a lot of people struggling with mental health and addictions. And there's a lot of people working hard to try to deal with that, deal with that issue and help these people. And so I just wanted to ask him kind of how would it, how do we have both? How do we have a successful economy in Northern Ontario, in a Northern Ontario community like ours and deal with the fact that it's in Northern Ontario where the opioid crisis is hitting the hardest? The, the big issue, one of the big issues we're dealing with in this community, and a lot of northern communities are, is the opioid crisis, right? We're seeing it on our streets every year. Uh, the latest numbers from the Ontario Corner, uh, where that Thunder Bay, Sudbury, and Algoma districts still have the, the, the highest per death, per, uh, death per capita um, from opioids. We, how, what are some, so what can we do about this? Is a, this is when you walk around the soup, Prime Minister, this is what everyone is talking about. Well, first of all, it has to do a lot with the, the, the times we're in, like economic uncertainty, um, the challenges of inflation, the challenges of having, you know, suffered through a pandemic, all of us that, that you know, took a real hit to all of our mental health and, and stability people, um, you know, people are, are, are struggling right now. And that's where economic investments and building hope in the community and making sure there's good, you know, schools and trade schools and pathways where people can be optimistic about being able to support their families and do well and not feel like they're being completely left behind by how the world is changing. That does a big chunk of it in terms of community feel and mood. Mm -hmm. But then you also need very, very specific measures as well. I mean, we have been leaning in on science and data and evidence, whether it's around safe consumption, whether it's around treatment, whether it's around supports for communities, it's frontline workers, it's all the things that are creating not just solutions for the addiction, but solutions for the life that comes with it. Housing is, affordable housing is part of our fight against addictions. Um, you know, education is part of our fight against addictions. Um, you know, lifting socioeconomic levers, poverty, uh, fighting poverty is part of our fight against addictions. Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things that we have to put together. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about how the Sioux is leading on economic sides. But it's also leading on social sides. I mean, this building, which I know we're going to get to, is, mm-hmm. is part of an example of, of how when people come together to solve larger problems and not just one pinpoint of a problem, mm-hmm. you're going to get to. So 
the investments we're making in fighting the opioid epidemic, in you know, support for addictions and mental health, whether it's whether it's the, um, the the billions we announced when we first got elected in our health deals on mental health that sort of got out there, or the real investments of $200 billion over the next 10 years for the provinces with clear deliverables and, and metrics to, to, to measure around, um, around mental health addictions, that's going to be helping in terms of more resources. Uh, but you know, also just a general focus on, on better partnerships and better wraparound services and understanding that, that all the different social determinants that go into addiction strategies uh, need to be addressed. Because that would be the perfect Sault Ste. Marie route, right? One where Algoma Steel and other industries here are thriving, but also where the people are getting the help that they need to, to deal with this. Of course. But I mean, when you have a, a, a strong, vibrant you know, uh, um, company or driver of the local economy like Algoma Steel, it's not just the direct jobs, it's not even just the indirect jobs of suppliers, it's the local corner store, it's the, it's the, it's the, 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 the restaurant, it's the, it's the, uh, the, the sponsorship of the, the Timbits hockey leagues, it's, mm-hmm. it's like the entire community, mm-hmm. um, you know, flourishes and, and it, and it grows from that center outwards as opposed to trickling down, it builds it out from the sides. Uh, from the center, and that that means uh, that you can solve these challenges and can create the kinds of solutions mm-hmm. that are going to make this continue to make this an amazing place to live. And I guess finally, uh, Frisco, uh, the future uh, of the prime minister. Lots of things uh, going on in his his life. Uh, of course, recently uh, separated from his wife Sophie, uh, Pierre Polyev uh, grinding him at every turn. If you look at the polls right now, it certainly indicates that uh, a large majority of the country uh, supports uh, Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. Uh, but the prime minister does uh, heed a bit of a warning where that's concerned. It's interesting, right? Because we even ran a poll after he visited asking people who would they vote for today if there was an election. And I think it was 53% said conservative and 32% said liberal. And, you know, we live in a world now where, you know, national media columnists are already questioning whether it's time for the prime minister to resign and get somebody else in there. Um, you know, and all the pundits seem to believe that it's not going to go well for the liberals in the next election. Um, so I want to ask him about that and, and get a sense of what he would say to people in the Sioux and I guess people all over the country who may have voted for him in the past and are now thinking they want to turn to Polyev. Just that's obviously about uh, Pierre Polyev and Sue Seymour. He was here a few weeks ago. He came mm-hmm. to visit. And there's a feeling in the community, there's a lot of people who support him and what he's saying. What do you say to people in the Sioux who might be thinking, steering away from you and toward Pierre Polyev? Well, listen, first of all, I understand how much people are uh, frustrated right now at everything, whether it's grocery prices or the housing crisis or what's going on in the world or even the wildfires we got hit with for the summer. I mean, it's easy to point your finger and blame the government in general for everything that's going on. That's fine. That's part of the role. I wake up every morning trying to solve those challenges and everything I do, whether it's announcing a smart grid here in, in Sioux uh, or, uh, or you know, being here for the Legion, Legion announcement and everything, we are trying to put forward solutions. I suggest people take a look at Pierre Polyev carefully and honestly ask yourself whether he's trying to solve the challenges he's laying out or whether he's just trying to amplify the challenges that are being laid out. Because it's easy in this time to get people more fearful, more riled up, because there's lots of real reasons to get riled up and mm-hmm. fearful. But I know people in the Sioux. I know Canadians. People are ready to roll up their sleeves 
and get through the tough times. We've done it before. We're going to do it again. And this is a very big, very scary tough time. But it's going to require leadership on the fight against climate change and building the new economy. Mm -hmm. It's going to require being there uh, for everyone, including the 2SLGBTQI plus community, including uh, immigrants and marginalized people. Moving forward concretely on reconciliation, as hard as that is, being thoughtful with answers in full sentences to really big problems. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants the bumper sticker to be right, but it takes more than a seven second TikTok to solve really big challenges. And I strongly suspect, because I've watched Pierre Polyev in his role as a professional politician for decades now, um, he's very good at the quick, easy sound bites He's not so good at the real answers that are going to make a difference. And I know people in the Sioux, across Northern Ontario and across this country, are going to think very carefully about what kind of country we want and who's got the better vision for getting us there. Well, no uh, date set, of course, uh, for the next federal election, but it will be very interesting to see uh, what happens where Justin Trudeau is concerned. You talk to a lot of people on the streets uh, and the consensus, uh, certainly to a, a certain extent, is that Eight years, he's run his course. Um, but Pierre Polyev, a very polarizing figure. Yep. So I don't know. It will be really interesting to see, right? You do feel the momentum, right? And the, the politics is about momentum. And you do feel yeah. like when Polyev was here, for example, or in some of the other communities that we serve, good crowds, a lot of cheering, people are excited. His message, you know, that common sense, as they, as the conservatives like to say, the common sense answers to the opioid crisis, to, to, to the inflation crisis, to, you know, the housing issues that are plaguing the country right now. Polyev does seem to have some, uh, some answers to those or what he says are answers, yeah. right? And that get people excited that they're cheering for him. And he kind of brings you back to, Trudeau went through that period too when he was the first elected liberal leader. He was almost, he was a celebrity, right? He yep. when he went to town, when he came to this town, for example, just mobbed by people, right? The, the the RCMP really had to be careful where he was going. And there was kind of that sense when that election happened that Harper had no chance, that no. he was not going to win, that it was it was Justin Trudeau's time. Yeah. And I'm no expert, but you do kind of get that sense that this might be Pierre Polyev's time. Like you said, people I talk to at the hockey rink or wherever they've that's who they're voting for. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but you do get that same feeling. All right. Time will tell. Good conversation. Okay. We're back to wrap on Inside the Village right after this. For the latest in in-depth features and enterprise journalism from your local writers at Village Media, be sure to check out The Big Read. The Big Read. It's the full story behind the headlines. Look for The Big Read on your favourite Village Media website across Ontario. All right, back to wrap on uh, Inside the Village for the week of November the 15th, 2023. Okay, I got to say this, regardless of your political stripes, and they don't matter, it's still kind of cool when you get to sit down across the table uh, from uh, the Prime Minister of the country uh, that we call home. It was very cool. I, I, people did send me some messages and had things to say about uh, how cool that was. I was out the next day 
and people did some people I knew stopped me and said, Oh, that was pretty, pretty wild. And it, and it was, it was, I mean, it was, uh, like I said, it was nerve wracking because then you do feel the pressure. You want to make sure that you don't sound like a moron and that your questions are actually yeah. comprehensible. And so that was, uh, you know, a little bit of, I felt a little bit of the pressure, but once the conversation started, it was like interviewing anybody else that you prep for when, yeah, you're, yeah. when you're doing the work and you kind of put it out of your mind that, Hey, this is the prime minister sitting across from me. Yeah. And the other thing that comes across too is that as expected, he'd be very comfortable doing this. He does this all day long. Oh, he in goes his sleep. He goes to events, meets people, talks to journalists. He's used to, he's certainly, not uh, he's certainly used to getting tough questions. Uh, not that mine were the toughest he ever faced, but has had tough questions and he's had to answer. So he, he was very comfortable in the role. Well, and important to note too that he grew up yes in that environment with his father for sure, right? Uh, and, being the prime minister and has talked a lot about that in the past about how you know it's not like it's new to him to have RCMP staff uh, watching him, yeah. watching his every move. Yeah. That's kind of the way he grew up. You and I didn't grow up like that. Nope. Uh, maybe the RCMP was watching us for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Derek will edit that part out. So, uh, yeah. It's true what they say. Uh, people like that put their pants on one leg at a time. Definitely. But the the, the thing the, the, the thing about being a journalist, and I've been very fortunate, is that I meet all types of different people in the stories that I've written. Uh, and, and, and so I don't want to say that the, this was the most amazing because he was the prime minister, but it was very cool. But sometimes it's just the, the, the person in the, uh, in the neighborhood that's a super fascinating person as well. So, Absolutely. And you remember Absolutely. that he's just a human being like everybody else. Yep. It's uh, it's cool though, when you get to sit across the table from somebody yes. um, of, of that level of importance. I mean, I'm spoiled. I get to do it every week. <laughs> Well, it's nice to talk about Derek like that. <laughs> of course, Derek, too. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's put a bow on this thing and uh, head out for the week. Uh, ITV at villagemedia.ca. If you have any comments uh, on this show, want to ask Frisco uh, any other questions about uh, meeting the prime minister, he'd be happy to hear you. Uh, hear from you on uh, that topic or any others. Uh, and of course, uh, watch uh, all back episodes uh, of the show wherever you get your favorite podcast uh, and at insidethevillage.ca. For Derek Turner, executive producer of the show, Michael Friscaletti, editor-in-chief at Village Media, I'm Scott Sexsmith. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Inside the Village. Frisco and Scott's Wardrobe, provided in part by Moore's Sault Ste. Marie.